Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. All right, good morning. Hope everybody is doing well, wrapping up. Is everybody wrapping up spring break? Some people are starting. Anybody starting spring break? Everybody's wrapping up spring break? We're wrapping up spring break, which consisted of just not going to school. Um, So uh, I hope everybody is doing well on this beautiful March morning. Right? We're still in March. I feel I'm I'm a little bit lost in time right now. uh, I want to start off this morning, and uh, I do want to pray uh, over the last couple of weeks, um, just uh, there has been, um, we, this is a culture of, of uh, there's a whole lot of anger and outrage and underlying issues um, that are happening um, in our culture, and, and certainly over the last couple of weeks, we've seen that expressed in some uh, terrible ways uh, that has brought out um, racial prejudice, it has brought out sexual sin, it has brought out um, uh, just rampage uh, in, in all of these uh, things that are taking place, Atlanta, Boulder. So I just want to s- take a minute um, and pray. We good with that? Uh, if you would join me, let's, let's pray. God, certainly, um, uh, well, maybe I do, maybe I don't speak for everyone, but my heart feels both restless and exhausted. Um, And it feels like, uh, it feels like, you know, old man yells at cloud when it, it, when we say, when are we going to get past these things? We're not going to get past these things. There, there is an evil in the heart of man, um, and uh, there is something in this world that will never be fully satisfied. And so as the church, that should never lull us to sleep, but it should call us to continue to be peacemakers. And peacemakers are not abdicators. Peacemakers does not mean that we are just passive. Peacemakers means that we are aggressively being the presence of Jesus in the world around us. And um, that doesn't fix things, but we know one day you will. One day you will make all things new, you will make all things right. That's the hope that we cling to. And may that spur us on in our labor so that in our times of exhaustion, we would not be found without hope. In our times of anger, we would not be found without direction. Um, So God, may we as the church be the presence of God in this, uh, in this world. May we not, may I not, may we not, as people who call ourselves followers of Jesus, may we not make up false enemies and spur anger in our own hearts that somehow we are fighting an enemy that is in this world. We're not. There is no human being who is 
our enemy. This is the, the, every human being is our mission of love and grace and mercy. And so may we not make up false enemies, but may we be guided by the grace and mercy of Jesus who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being found in the likeness of man, and who was obedient even to death on a cross, and who one day will rise and one day every knee will bow, either in worship or in anger, but one day every knee will bow and profess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So may we... Find joy in that even now, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, uh, we're going to continue on. In our, this, is, this is the last week that we will be in uh, the Hebrew Scriptures in the Old Testament uh, next week. Uh, next week, we make a quick jump uh, to a beautiful, glorious reality of the New Testament. In fact, the event that divides the Old and New Testament. But this morning, we are going to... Uh, wrap up, not wrap up necessarily, wrap up our, our journey, this long journey through the Old Testament, um, looking at the prophets. Uh, and so um, last week we, I was out of town, but I figured I, I would try to look the part um, and, uh, of, of a prophet. So um, I want to read a section from Isaiah 46 as we get started this morning. Um, we, it'll be on the screen behind me. Uh, and I just want to read, give you a, a view from uh, the words of the prophets and how, what, the, what kind of style they have. Uh, and then we're going to take a look at the role of the prophets throughout the Old Testament. All right, so this is from Isaiah, chapter 46, starting in verse 3. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb. Even to your old age, I am he, and to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and will save. To whom will you liken me and make me an equal and compare me that we may be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales, hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god, and then they fall down and worship they lift it to their shoulders and carry it. They set it in its place and it stands there and it cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it doesn't answer or save him from his trouble. This is, do I go further than that? I do. Let's go to the end, sorry. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God, there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, from the ancient times, things not yet done. <clears throat> my saying, uh, and uh, saying, my counsel shall stand. I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart. You who are far from righteousness, I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off. And my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. This is the word of the Lord, and you can respond by saying, thanks be to God. Um, I want you to kind of think to a, maybe a significant time in your life. Maybe you do this all the time like me, uh, but maybe there are a few times that stand out as, as a little bit more significant 
of a time when you thought or maybe even spoke, maybe even said, um, kind of this transition statement. Once we get this, then fill in the blank, right? Once we get this raise, once we get this stimulus package, once we get uh, this move, this renovation done, uh, if I get this promotion, once I graduate, once I finish this test, then all things will be fulfilled, right? Then, as Jeremy just said, you hand the dollar, once I get this, for me it's garbage pail kids. Um, then all of life will be fulfilled, right? Or, or something like that. <clears throat> then we're home free. Um, when we were getting ready to plant a church, I asked my wife if I've ever, ever shared this story, so I don't know if I have. Uh, we were getting ready to plant a church, um, <clears throat> and we were planning, and, and uh, I was, uh, there was a conference in Seattle that I was going to get to go to, and I had a couple meetings scheduled, some good but hard meetings, and uh, have an opportunity to kind of get away. We had two small kids uh, and I was also doing delivery at Lowe's, and this is going to be a chance to kind of get away and like think and dream and talk uh, and get some things on paper. Um, and it was exciting, uh, and there was another deadline that was kind of looming in our lives. Uh, we had spent two months, we needed to get to February 1st uh, for insurance to kick in. We had spent two months in deep prayer and fasting and meditation, uh, hoping and praying that our kids and my wife, would, that we would not get sick, that nothing that nobody would break an arm, uh, which is kind of a habit in our house, and uh, in, in like December and January, so the, the worst months of the year to have to go through that. But once we get to February 1st, then smooth sailing, right? Well, here's the good news. We got to February 1st. The conference was starting just like a week or two later. It was like on the, the 8th or so, and we get to February 1st, and a couple days after February 1st, I'm sitting in the basement, <clears throat> I'm home by myself, and all of a sudden I hear this loud bang and the house shakes. And I'd heard some trash trucks upstairs, and I thought, well, maybe I'm wondering what happened. And I run upstairs to see our living room wall uh, caved in like this, and our couch pushed halfway across the living room. And I looked through uh, the brand new picture window that we had just gotten less than six months before, to see a man passed out in his car, middle of the day, half in and half out of our living room. Uh, he was fine. He was fine. Basically what happened is he had a coughing attack, coughed so hard that it, that it caused him to black out, which actually helped him, and he came around the corner and just kept going. And the way our, our driveway kind of went straight toward our living room, and then it veered off, and we had a carport uh, on the front of the house. So if you can pick it, was, it was one of the old houses in North St. Charles. Uh, and he just, he knocked our car, pushed it off to the side, so it, it, uh, totaled it, and then right into our living room. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, and so, of, of course, that introduces a little bit of chaos into the scene. And then what followed from that is one of our kids, so this is in February, one of our kids got sick, whether that was from the slight draft <laughs> uh, that we had, or potentially um, the, uh, the asbestos dust in the air. Uh, one of our kids got sick, got pneumonia, um, and then got better. I don't remember which kid it was. Got better, 
and then my wife and other kid got pneumonia. So the worst case scenario, we had one healthy and two sick, and I was supposed to get on a plane to go to Seattle. Uh, but, but we had insurance. We had health insurance. Um, now, <clears throat> to top it all off, um, it, it was one of those situations that was so bizarre and so crazy that you're like, okay, um, this has to be divine something. What do we need to repent of? Uh, what are we not hearing? God is doing, is, this has to be something where God is getting our attention. Uh, now, to top it all off, the initial call to the, uh, this guy's uh, insurance which ended up being fine, but the initial call was that uh, this was a medical emergency, uh, therefore declaring it an act of God. My conversation with the poor insurance agent at that point in time, I said, I don't need you to tell me that this is an act of God. Um, I know who did this. That being said, you are still going to pay for this. And they did. He had a doctor's appointment two days before. And he had, they, he had, they found a cough or whatever, and that's, that was our, anyway. Now I, gotta, now I gotta talk myself, now I gotta talk myself down after that. You ever have a discussion and then spend the next six days with how you could have won it even better? I'm having that right now. Um, <clears throat> For the people of God, it's been a painful journey to get to this point, life in the land, right? You have all of this building up to the people of God getting to life in the land. But once they get settled in, once they get to the land flowing with milk and honey, once we get to this point, surely then things are going to go well. They're going to fall into place, right? Smooth sailing, home free. Um, but it, it doesn't quite go that way. They don't quite bear the image of God and bring his blessing and presence among the nations. Um, I mean, all they had to do was be the people of God and let him be their great defender. And it, and it just doesn't go down like that. Uh, I, when, whenever I perform a wedding, I always joke with the couple, as soon as the ceremony is over and they, all the tremendous stress of the ceremony is up, and then, then I tell them, Listen, look, now all you have to do is be married. And they kind of have the same response. Uh, as you guys did. Uh, life in the land is not going well. Um, Israel will experience growth and conquest under David, but despite the warnings from Deuteronomy, the very next king, the third king in, the first king was, was because you're tall and handsome, uh, not a good way to pick a leader. The second king was David, was God's man. Third king in was Solomon. David prays this beautiful prayer for Solomon. And, and, the, and right off the bat, third king in, Though the warnings about wealth, amassing personal wealth, Solomon kind of goes down the list. He amasses a lot of personal wealth, a lot of silver and gold and horses and chariots. He puts his own people into slavery. He spends seven years building the temple of God and then turns around and build, uh, spends 14 years building his own house and so on and so on. And the people of God follow suit. They begin to engage with some of the worship practices of the other nations. They begin to adopt some of the rituals uh, of the other nations in the land and the other deities, they begin to neglect the poor and the marginalized. They demonstrate over and over again that their worship and loyalty are not to the God that rescued them, that had made these covenants with them, that had found them to be his representatives in the land. And so God will send to his people the prophets. 
The prophets essentially are this. The prophets are the mouthpieces of God. Thus says the Lord. That's what comes from the prophets. They're not fortune tellers, although certainly uh, there are times when they allude to events in the future, uh, but they are rather truth tellers who would speak on behalf of God. And again, sometimes those included warnings about the future, but their primary role was to remind the people of God often about the covenant that God had made with them. As one person called them, they were covenant watchdogs. And this morning we're going to look at the role of prophets in the redemptive history and then how that brings us to Palm Sunday today. Um, so let me give you some general stuff about prophets. Okay, in the, in, the, in the canon there are 17 books of prophets. There are five major prophets and 12 minor prophets, often thinking the five that would correlate with the law, uh, the books of the law, and 12 with the tribes of Israel. Um, <clears throat> there are a number of prophets in the Bible that don't have books, that did not uh, write books. Um, there are also a number of uh, false prophets. And the archetype of the prophet, the first one really to deliver the full word of the Lord was, anybody remember? Good, Moses, right. Moses was the archetype of the prophets. Moses is the one that brings the word of the Lord. He gives the law. And so Moses is the archetypal uh, prophet, and then all the prophets from there will point back to what Moses has said. Remember the law. Remember what God has said. Remember what God has done. Moses is the voice of the Lord that gives the law to the people. Everybody that comes uh, after him points back to him. There were men prophets. There were also female prophets. You had Huldah in 2 Kings. Deborah in the book of Judges, Aaron's sister Miriam was also considered a prophet. Uh, the, Bible, <clears throat> the Bible is not put together chronologically, uh, and so the prophets kind of fall at the end of the Old Testament, but that's not where they fall in the timeline. So you have the first five books of the Bible, which are the Torah, the law, and then after that you have the historical books, which record all of these events that took place. You have First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Samuel, and those book, books will record the timelines of the kings. And in those, you will see when these prophets would have spoken. And so when you are, the, the expectation would have been when the Bible, uh, when, the, the, when the writers put the Bible together, uh, the expectation would have been when you're reading about King Uzziah in the, in the chronicles, in the times of, of the history of Israel, that you would go, oh, okay. Uh, this was when Isaiah spoke. And you would go to Isaiah, and you would see how Isaiah spoke to the people. Um, and so that's how to read the Bible. The books of the prophets are, are hard to understand, to say the least. Um, they're not a narrative. They're not necessarily a story. They're written in poetry, and so they're difficult to understand. But they have some beautiful and profound statements. And so this will explain to your brain, if you're doing your Bible reading plan and you're reading in a prophet, and you're like, this is beautiful, and this is profound, and this is powerful, and I want to memorize this, and I have no idea what's going on. That's about right. That's about what should happen when you read the prophets. Um, prophets were often different. Uh, People didn't like them too much. 
they were oftentimes uh, kind of weirdos. Um, it seems like they were often giving doom and gloom statements uh, that were kind of rather easy to ignore or became easy to ignore until they came to fruition. And then you kind of go, hmm, maybe we should have listened a little bit better. It was not a glorious job to be a prophet, at least not a true prophet. Uh, they would often risk their lives. Nathan had to tell the, had to address the king about his sexual problems. That's not, that's not a easy thing to do. They would speak to priests. They were often imprisoned. Um, and um, and, it, and it wasn't like prophets would like get possessed and their eyes would start glowing and then they would spout off something. That's not how prophets worked. Um, Jeremiah, in fact, uh, gives us insight into to his own wrestling with being a prophet. Uh, he was beaten by one of the priests and imprisoned. Let that sink in. Um, and Jeremiah begins to, in some ways, he writes this poetry where he, in some ways, begins to lament this call in, in some kind, even feeling almost betrayed by God. Uh, he laments his calling. He sees things that are happening. He sees the deception and the destruction of the priests and how they are telling people only what they want to hear. And then in chapter 20, verse 9, Jeremiah basically, he gives this hypothetical. And he says, if I will not mention, if I say, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, then there is in my heart as if it were a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. And so what Jeremiah says basically is that God has given him eyes to see the corruption that is taking place, and he would love to not say anything. He would love to be quiet. It would be so much nicer. And yet, a fire burns in him that would consume him. He cannot stop pointing it out. He can't not see what's going on, even if he gets beaten or imprisoned. The true prophets of God were not in this to make money. Most of them uh, had, did not have much position. We look at them now, we're like, well, they had books of the Bible. Those were recorded and, and really inserted after uh, Israel was in exile. They were not prideful or arrogant about their claims. They did not look down on the people or uh, they did not work to get themselves in a position of power or influence. It was as if God had given the prophets a clear vision to see the wickedness, the corruption, the schemes, all of the breakdown of God's people around them and then commanded them that they both speak and write down and sometimes even act out the warnings that God had for his people. Prophets would warn Israel over and over and over again where they were failing either to live up to the covenant that God had called them to or that they were flat out ignoring the covenant. Um, I'm going to flash back just a few weeks. You remember we talked about the suzerain vassal treaty uh, where a powerful nation would make a treaty with a weak nation, a vassal. And they would read out loud the agreement that they had. This is what we have done for you. And this is how you will be faithful to us. And it would be read over and over and over again just to make sure that the weaker nation heard and understood. The powerful nation got to set the 
the terms of the covenant. So it was here. Uh, the prophets were often called to both speak and show Israel how much they were violating this treaty, this covenant, which let it be known that they probably never would have done had it been an actual treaty with a more powerful nation instead of God himself. And God shows tremendous grace and mercy and restraint. There are different ways that the prophets would warn people, uh, some interesting ways that they would illustrate what was going on with Israel. Hosea, uh, Hosea would marry a woman of ill repute. Uh, he would marry an unfaithful bride. Not only would he marry an unfaithful bride, but she would leave him, and then he would chase her down and purchase her back to demonstrate God's relationship with Israel, that his bride was being unfaithful. Isaiah, uh, as recorded in Isaiah chapter 20, Isaiah, essentially, Jerusalem's a pretty big town. Uh, Isaiah walks around Jerusalem for about three years barefoot and naked to demonstrate and give warning to the people when a conquering nation would come in they would take away, into exile, they would take away the people in shackles and barefoot and naked. And so Jeremiah would walk, or Isaiah would walk around and say, this is how you will be taken away if you don't repent and turn and trust our great defender. You're making treaties with lesser nations. You're betraying the one that we have, are in covenant with. And as you could perhaps imagine, these are not guys you seek out, right? These are guys you're like, all right, kids, let's go this way. Here comes the naked guy again, shouting about repentance. Um, every year we've done, uh, every year we, we do a share service the week after Thanksgiving, the, week, the Sunday after Thanksgiving. We do a share service, and we had a, we had a, we had a streak of about four or five years in a row. This was several years ago, but we had a streak of about four or five years in a row where, sure enough, um, a new person who had never been here before and never came back uh, would show up, and you kind of, it's a, it's a person you look at, and you're like, huh, okay, just keep your eyes on them. Um, and inevitably, uh, for about four or five share services in a row, uh, we, we'll have people come up and just share and give testimony to things that God has done and faithfulness and, and rejoice and all of that. And, and about four or five years in a row, sure enough, that person, God laid on their heart to get up and, and share something. And they walk up the aisle. And this is why we put the rules in of brief, uh, audible, brief, and, and Christ-centered. Uh, and God would lay something on their heart to share. And I had two reactions to that. As I sat up here, I began to sit up here next to the microphone just in case I had to grab it at any time. Um, but I had two responses to that. One, my first response was, uh, oh no, what are they going to say? What has God laid on their heart? My second response was, I'd better listen because this is exactly the type of person that God would use in a prophetic moment who will then drift on off to obscurity and that you wrestle with their words. There were, of course, prophets from other deities. Uh, we see this in Exodus and other places throughout the Old Testament. There were also uh, diviners and fortune tellers, uh, which are technically not prophets, soothsayers. Uh, and there were both true prophets of Yahweh and false prophets of Yahweh. The primary critique of a false prophet was not necessarily if their predictions came true or not, 
but were they simply just telling the people what they wanted to hear? The itching ears. During Advent, we talked about the elements of the message uh, of the books of the prophets. There were four elements invoked in almost every prophetic book in Scripture. Um, where again, this treaty was read out loud and it was reminded what had taken place. The first one that a prophet would do is this. They would tell anew what God had done for his people. Even in the Ten Commandments, even Moses, uh, Moses in the very first uh, word of prophecy, the, the archetype, pro- Moses began the Ten Commandments. Well, I'll ask you, what's the beginning of the Ten Commandments? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And you can kind of insert, therefore, have no other gods before me. The prophets would remind the people, this is what God has done. This is how he has saved you, rescued you, delivered you, established you, made you. The second thing they would do is that they would remind Israel that they are, in fact, God's people. The law is a a binding life-together document. It wasn't like legislation that we do now. It was a binding-together document. This is how we're going to do life together. I am God, and you will be my people. It was like a marriage covenant. And so the the, uh, prophets would tell people... Uh, not only what God has done and his love for his people, but also that they are bound to that. And though he loves every tribe, every tongue, every nation, that these are his people and they will be to him a treasured possession. And you're not just free to go see other gods. They were in a committed and obligatory relationship with this God. So first we see that this is all that God has done. And then we see, and you are to be his people because you have made a commitment to him. And then the third thing that they would say is, you are not honoring that commitment. You are being unfaithful to that commitment. And they would go through the various ways that the people of Israel were failing to uphold their part of the covenant. Now you need to know that the warnings that the prophets gave were both moral and social. They were both issues of righteousness and of justice. Again, this is a theme in our world where those two are pit against each other. They're not pit against each other. They are to be holistic. Uh, When Nathan goes to confront David on his assault uh, of Bathsheba, there is both a moral Uh, a moral warning spoken over him of his moral sin and infidelity, but there's also a justice issue that he has used his power and abused his authority as king, and that is going to wreak havoc, not just in his personal life, but in society and the lineage going down in the kingship for generations. It's not simply a moral issue. It is also a justice issue and a social issue. And the prophets would address both of those things. The sins ranged from sexual sins, idol worship, ignoring the suffering of the poor and the outsider, 
uh, issues of greed once they began to start um, accumulating wealth as a people. And then, uh, and then often he would talk about how the people of God were doing the external rules um, as just rituals, but their hearts were far from him. And then finally, the fourth element that every prophetic book contains is the declaration of Yahweh's curse upon Israel. What would happen if Israel continued to refuse to be the people of God? And oftentimes, these are the natural consequences. God had established this nation and defended her. And it was essentially like they were saying, thanks, but now we're going to trust Egypt to defend us. Thanks, but now we're going we're to trust Assyria to defend us. Thanks, but we're going we're gonna to try to defend ourselves. And so the consequences were both the curse of God, but also the natural consequences of them deciding we'll go, we'll go it alone. And I want to make this clear. I'm talking about the people of Israel here. Um, if we can't find ourselves in this story, then we're missing a whole lot of the point of Scripture. I just want to make that clear. The prophets would point out these other treaties with lesser gods and with lesser nations will not, will not sustain you and they will not protect you. But every book of the pre-exilic prophets, there's a warning of the coming of destruction that God will send, but honestly that God's people will bring upon themselves. Um, and, I, and I want this to be said um, because sometimes I feel like it needs to be said. Well, it needs to be said. This is not a different God from the New Testament. This is the same God. Sometimes we have a tendency to read the Old Testament and say, oh, it's all wrath and it's all judgment. Uh, this is tremendous, tremendous patience and grace and mercy. He loves his people. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, oh, that you would come to me and I would gather you like a hen gathers her chicks. I would protect you. The problem is not my judgment. The problem is you're going to lesser gods to protect you. This is the God who rescued this people that established them as a nation that won victories for them and delivered them and defended them. And the prophets are not simply sent to remind the people of their unfaithfulness, but also to remind them of God's faithfulness. This is what the Lord has done. And at times, the people of God are humbled, or there's a remnant that is humbled and repents and turns back. But it often doesn't last very long, and things continue to trend downward on the whole. Again, every prophetic book has a warning of the impending destruction of the current trajectory. Uh, and the problem there is twofold. It's not only that the people of God are betraying the covenant with God and their relationship with him, but it's also that the people of God are not completing the mission, the very reason that they were established in the first place, which is to bear the image of God among the nations. And they're not doing that either. They're not demonstrating the grace and mercy and power and authority of the God of all creation, of Yahweh, which they were supposed to do. They're not rightly bearing God's image to the nation around them. The image gets compromised or the mission gets compromised 
when God's people begin to image and worship lesser gods. And his discipline and judgment is inevitable, not just because he's like precarious and angry and and vengeful, but because his grace and mercy is not being represented. This is an unfaithful image of who I am. And God will accomplish what he has set out to do. The prophets bear witness that this mission and this obedience will not be accomplished by this people or really by any people. The other element of every prophetic book is that it talks about a one day. And this kind of varies from book to book on what that one day may be. But there's two elements, a day that the Lord, uh, a day of both destruction and judgment, but also a day that paints a vision of a future day of restoration. And every prophet, no matter how dark they get, they all contain an image of hope that God will not forget his people and that he will accomplish the mission, the mission that Adam and every descendant afterwards has failed to do. All right, so how do we get to Palm Sunday? It's a good question. The first verses of the gospel uh, according to Mark are recording um, another prophet who came before Jesus, John the Baptist. Uh, And he basically, he claims there in the first few verses of Mark that he is one that will baptize not just with water, but will actually baptize with this. uh, One is coming that will baptize with the uh, Holy Spirit. And he quotes the great prophet Isaiah and he says, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. And this is what Jesus will do. Jesus will uphold every part of the covenant that God's people have failed to uphold. And then he will credit it to the account of anyone whose faith and trust are in him. Jesus will love God and neighbor perfectly. Jesus will delight fully in God, his Father. Jesus will not bow down to lesser gods when tempted. Jesus will uphold every part of the law. He will be faithful to every part of the covenant that we have neglected or that we have ignored or that we have just plain denied. And he will bear beautifully and faithfully the fullness of the image of God to all people. Today is Palm Sunday, and it's the day that traditionally this week, as we go into this week, traditionally in the liturgical calendar, this is the day that we look back and begin to reflect on the final week of Jesus' life and ministry. Um, Jesus would enter Jerusalem. Uh, they, would, they would come, and they, they stayed in a house in Bethany, and they would come every day into Jerusalem, and he would go into the temple, and the initial day that he walks in, He walks into cheers and to chants. This is the one. This is the one we have waited for. This is the fulfillment of God's promise to restore Israel to her prominence. But like most things that take place with God, including the words of the prophets, it doesn't quite go the way that they think it's going to go. 
Jesus tells the parable that will end up being, that is a prophecy, but also very telling. The tenants in the vineyard, the prideful religious leaders who had rejected every prophet, who had tortured and killed every prophet, would once again reject the prophet that was a threat to their authority and their power, and they would persuade the people to do so as well. And again, Jesus will be perfect in all the ways that we fail. And he will fulfill every obligation of the covenant on our behalf. And he will be all that Israel was supposed to be and all that the church should become. The Old Testament prophets always reminded people of the law. They pointed people back to the Mosaic law every time and where people were failing to live in response to that, uh, to that law. New Testament prophets point to the completed work of Jesus and point us back every time to the completed work of Jesus. That we are no longer living, having to live up to the law, but what we do have to do, which the law was basically to rest and trust that God would be your great defender. In the New Testament, what all people are invited to do is to rest and trust that Christ is our great defender, that he fulfilled the law on our behalf. There were many ways for Israel to be religious and yet their hearts were far from God. And the same is true in the New Testament. There are many ways for people to be religious and yet have no faith and trust in Jesus, even to claim the name of Jesus in some cases. The prophets of old had two different messages. Depending on the majority position of the people of Israel or whomever their words were directed toward, they would have warnings that were given in times of pride and arrogance. But after Israel was conquered by Babylon and taken into exile, the prophets gave words of comfort and hope. And it remains the same for those who bear the name of Jesus today. For the prideful, there is a warning. For the humble, there is a hope. 2016, uh, Jesse Williams, who is an actor, gave a speech on the BET Awards. He was given the Humanitarian Award. And he decried people who would give big words with no actions and people who would talk a lot but not actually do anything. And he decried people hiding behind uh, words of comfort uh, and yet taking no action to make right what is wrong in the world. And as an actor on Grey's, uh, Grey's Anatomy, a father and a husband and a former school teacher, he has actually given a lot of his life and devoted a lot of his life to, to, to humanitarian efforts and social change uh, and, and actually giving a lot up of himself to work for that. And his famous line from the speech uh, was its conclusion. And this is how he concludes the speech. You're free, they keep telling us. He's talking specifically about race here. You're free, they keep telling us, but she would have been alive if she hadn't acted so free, he said. Freedom is always coming in the hereafter, but you know what? The hereafter is a hustle. We want it now. I appreciate the attention that he brought to the needs of justice 
and the issues that need to be addressed in our culture as well. It put a spotlight on the huge gap that has been missing, that had been missing in the Western church and still has some work to do. But his hope there is incomplete, in my opinion. I get his cry, but his hope is incomplete. For those who are in Christ Jesus, I certainly don't believe that the hereafter is a hustle, though I know that the hereafter can be used and abused. That line can comfort us and lull us into sleep, for sure. Or it can be used as an excuse at times. What I do believe is that... That's a good... That's all right, we can... All right. That was Samson and Delilah. Samson was another judge uh, who was not a good one. Maybe that's God saying we should go through the book of Judges. I don't have the stomach for that. Not yet. Um, All right. I do not believe the hereafter is a hustle. What I do believe is that the hereafter is a reckoning. I don't believe eternity lets us off the hook. I believe eternity calls us to our greatest work and our greatest faith and our greatest trust and our greatest rest. To the prideful, whether religious or not, but certainly there is an extra warning for those who would use the name of God, invoke the name of God for personal gain. There's a warning over and over again in the prophets that we read earlier. Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver on the scales, hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god, and then they fall down and worship it. They lift it to their shoulders, they carry it, they set it in its place, and it stands there. It can't move. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. There is a warning. You make an idol and you will become like it. They will not save you in a day of trouble. If your pride is in your own labor, if your pride is in yourself, if your pride is in your possessions, if your pride is in your accomplishments, you have made yourself your great defender. And it it won't go well. The hereafter isn't a hustle, but it will be a reckoning for those whose fullness of life is simply just the here and now. And yet for the humble, the broken, the outsider, the poor, the oppressed, there is a future hope that we can both rest in and labor from and labor toward. And this is what Isaiah paints its picture as. In Isaiah 35, the wilderness and the dry land will be glad. The desert will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong and fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With recompense of God, he will come and save you. And then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. The waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals, where they lay down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes, 
and a highway will be there, and it will be called the way of holiness, and the unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way, even if they are fools. Praise God. They shall not go astray. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast come up on it, and they will not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy be upon their heads, and they will obtain the gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Jesus enters into Jerusalem. It's only the beginning. His perfect life will give way to his brutal death, which could not hold him nor contain him from his glorious resurrection. And so our hope our trust, our defender, our guide in this life and the next is this. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Let's pray. Jesus, when our hearts are prideful, you give us warning, but when our hearts are humble, there is hope. And the glorious goal is not that we have it all together. You did that on our behalf. The goal of Israel and current day is that we would trust in your completed work, that you are our great defender, that we would stop trying to be our own God. And I look at that and think, how hard could that possibly be? And it's so hard. Thank you for the mercy and grace of Jesus. As we enter into this holy week, may our hearts be melted. May the calluses be softened. May the wounds be tended to. May the cries be heard. May the tears be dried. May your presence be with us as your bride this week. As we remember and recall the final weeks of your life and ministry, your suffering, your death. Jesus, make yourself known. Continue to make yourself known to and through your people. May we hear and be reminded often that our hope is in Christ alone, but that does not call us to sit Our hope and our labor are in Christ alone. May it be in Jesus' name. Amen. Building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.